Good morning, Kingdom Culture. It is so good to be with you today. My goodness, I wish we could be together in person, but thank God for technology. Um, it is such an honor to be with you. Um, Sean and Michelle, oh my goodness, we love you so much. I wish we could just jump through this screen and give you giant hugs. You guys, you have the most incredible pastors and leaders. I hope you know that. Um, we so admire and respect and love um, your pastors. And what an, what an honor to get to be with you all this morning. Well, uh, my name is Jennifer, as I was as introduced, and um, my husband and I, Hona, we pastor a church in Los Angeles called um, Expression 58, and we're also involved in a variety of justice initiatives globally, um, but my goodness, what a year and a half we've all had, right? Um, I think LA, where we're based, is maybe a little bit like Ottawa. Um, you know, we, we are just now slowly opening up just now, things beginning to, to shift. Um, it's been, I think we were some of the first in the States to shut down and one of the last to open. And, and I know you guys have been going through a similar journey and I know it's been a hard season. And I know there's also been good things and God doing incredible things. Um, I'm confident of that. Um, but I also know for so many people, it's been such a hard season, emotionally, financially, relationally, I mean, parenting, sweet Jesus, help us all. It's just been hard. And so my prayer over you as a community today is that you would be encouraged and strengthened in the Lord, um, that you would know that you have family that is standing with you, just believing in, in what you guys are going after together. And it is such an honor to get to just share this time together this morning. Um, before I get into my message, um, my message actually today is called, I am the change agent. I am the change agent. Uh, before we get into that, though, I want to share something I was, I was thinking about. The Lord just put this in my spirit. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this really beautiful moment um, be between Peter and Jesus in the Bible. And um, you, you might know the story. It starts earlier um, in Matthew 26, 31 through 35. And it says, then Jesus told them this very night, you will fall away on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And you know, I've been thinking about this moment, and I think this moment was so genuine, right? Peter had genuinely experienced Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. This wasn't just words. Peter really loved Jesus. And Peter was like, Jesus, I am for real. I am all in. Jesus, I would never disown you, right? He had experienced, he'd seen the signs and the wonders and the miracles. He had experienced Jesus in his boat. He'd watched Jesus heal his mother-in-law. He'd seen so many miracles. He was all in. He was the real deal, right? He was the real deal follower of Jesus. Um, you know, but it's, when I think about this story, what's so interesting is here's Peter in all of his passion, right? Jesus, I would never disown you. I would never be in a bad place with you, Jesus. But what Peter didn't take into consideration was his own humanity, right? His own humanity. And I feel like this whole past year and a half has been this giant, 
look in, in the mirror to our own humanity. And, um, and so I think a lot of us can relate to Peter in this moment, right? Where Peter, after saying this, he just has no idea what's about to come you know, in his life. He has no idea what he's about to experience. And he just begins to go through trauma after trauma and, and unexpected and, and confusing and, and just all this stuff in a very quick amount of time, right? Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is going through these, these secret trials and Jesus is being tortured and, and beaten. And, and he's just watching all of this unfold. And he is under so much pressure, and he hasn't slept, and he's hungry, and he's cold, and all these things. And then all of a sudden, as all this pressure from every angle is coming at him, and he is just vulnerable, and he's tired, and he's frustrated, and all of the things, he just makes a poor choice. And he cracks under the pressure, right? He does the very thing he says he would never do, and he betrays Christ. And, um, you know, I, I don't look at this and think, gosh, you know, what's wrong with Peter? I just look at him, I think, Peter's all of us. Peter's all of us, you know? And um, and here's the reality with this story of Peter. He doesn't walk away from, from Jesus. He doesn't stop loving Jesus. He doesn't, you know, go off. He's still in the fellowship of believers. He's still showing up. He witnessed the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He's still going through motions, but he was not the same on the inside. He was not the same. And there's this beautiful moment in scripture. And I wanted just to start here today. This beautiful moment that I love where um, Jesus comes to Peter and Jesus has this intimate moment of resetting Peter. He resets him. He restarts him. He, re- he, he deals and heals, you know, deals with and heals that place that is just walked through all of the just like what in the world just happened to us, Right. And he heals Peter and reminds him who he is. And he, he just lights that fire in him again. Um, you might know the story. It's in John, John chapter 20, 21. You know, in the moment, Peter's so heartsick and feeling so defeated. And um, it says, verse 15, when they'd finished eating. Well, actually, let me, let me back up. So what happens is, is Peter goes out on a boat and um, he's fishing. There's nothing wrong with fishing, but as we know, Jesus had called him to fish for men, right? So he goes back to what's familiar. He goes, he's just, he's just in turmoil with life. And, um, you know, he sees somebody on the shore say, hey, let, let down your nets. He does. They get all this fish. You know, this familiar, this is his first encounter with Jesus. Same things playing out, you know, and somebody says, it's the Lord. And I love, love, love Peter's reaction because what he does is he, he just dives into the water and he swims as fast as he can to the shore. He's so dramatic and I'm here for it. He just dives in and he swims as fast as he can to Jesus when he realizes there's an encounter with Jesus waiting for him. And Jesus is on the shore. He's making breakfast for him, right? He's cooking up some fish. And um, we'll pick up in John 21, 15. It says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, 
When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. And when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead, where, lead, lead you where you do not want to go. And it goes on to say that Jesus, you know, was talking about the kind of death he would, he would actually have. But what happens in this moment is so powerful. It's just so beautiful on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Jesus connects from an intimate place. Jesus rekindles that, hey, you know, he, he rekindles that place of intimacy in Peter. And then he reminds him about the call in his life. He reminds him, this is not the first time Peter has heard this. Peter would go on to be the, the first pastor of the first church, right? Peter knew that Jesus had already told him, on, your, on you, I'm going to build my church, there was a call and a destiny to build the church. And, and Jesus is reminding him, feed my sheep. This is a very personal word to Peter. He's saying, Peter, you're called to feed my sheep. You're called to be a pastor, to be a leader, to pour into others. And he's so intimately and so personally resetting Peter in this moment. I love it. I love this moment. And I, I've been thinking about this passage a lot lately because I feel like a lot of us are coming out of the past year and a half, this whole pandemic, kind of feeling a little bit like Peter. Like, what the heck just happened? There was so much transition and change and, and challenges and heartache and stress and anxiety. And I don't know how it's been for you guys, but here in LA, you know, we, we have some unique circumstances, right? It's a very expensive city to live in. A lot of our people have had to, to leave. Um, we're a very diverse community. So we had to walk through a lot of political stuff and race stuff from really polarized perspectives and on top of, you know, the, the pandemic and everything else. And so I would imagine your community has walked through a lot of similar things. And I think for a lot of people, it's like they're still showing up, they're still there, but something just doesn't quite feel right. And I want to say to you today, whoever that is, whoever you are, if that's you, if you're like, man, I, something just doesn't quite feel fully alive in me, I feel a little numb, I feel a little jaded, I feel a little weary, I want to just say that Jesus is here, Jesus is here to reset you. And Jesus wants to reset every place in you that has just been disappointed or weary. And he is so good and he is so intimate and he is so personal. And he has baked up a delicious meal for you. And I, I want to encourage you just whatever that looks like in your life, dive in and swim passionately to him right now. Because this is what he's doing. He is resetting his church. He is resetting his disciples. He is resetting his followers. And so I don't know who that's for, but I was so feeling that this morning. I just wanted, I needed to share that um, and encourage somebody that God is here and God is moving right now to really reset hearts. And, and he wants to really reset you in this season. Amen? All right. Well, um, I, I've, I have so enjoyed the last couple weeks just praying for your community, thinking about you guys, asking God some things about you, and just leaning into his heart. And my goodness, I feel so much excitement for your community. I am so excited uh, for who you guys are, for what God is doing in you and through you, for the place you hold in your city. And today I want to talk about I am the change agent, all right? So my prayer is even as we talk about this, that you would be re-energized and reminded who you are, kingdom culture, that you would be reminded who you are and what God has distinctly called and empowered you to do in this season. 
So one of the things as I was praying that I heard, I felt like the Lord said over you. I heard him say, you are positioned to impact Ottawa. Ottawa is positioned to impact Canada. And Canada is positioned to impact the world. You personally, you kingdom culture, you are positioned, you are divinely positioned to impact Ottawa. Ottawa to impact Canada and Canada to impact the world. The call on your community, on your family, on your life is so significant. It is so powerful. Um, I just was getting so stirred in my spirit thinking about the reality that you guys are a city on a hill, that you are salt and light, that you are called to be change agents um, in your environment, that you are called to lead in city transformation. This is who you are. It is in your DNA. It is something you are anointed and called to do. Every place has different graces, and this is something that's so in your wheelhouse and something God has so been divinely bringing you together for. It is not an accident that you're at this church. God has divinely been bringing you together for great impact in your region. You are carriers of kingdom culture. And, um, you know, I, as I was just thinking and praying, I just kept having this sense in my spirit. You guys are never going to just be an average church. You're not. It's not who you are. You're never just going to be able to be an average kind of just whatever Christian, you guys are called to the wild. You are called to, to see heaven break in. You are called to see the impossible become possible. You are called to love radically and put the kingdom of God on display. God has marked you and set you aside for such a special purpose. You're agents of change. So before we, we jump into the word, I, I want to um, tell you two stories, actually. I, I just felt so... Um, I don't know, compelled by the Lord to share these stories. And, and as I said earlier, you know, we do a lot of work internationally, um, a lot of justice work. And one of the places where we work is in Ecuador, in South America. And um, we've been working there for, I don't know, I think 16 years, 17 years now. And um, primarily with um, victims of human trafficking and incarcerated youth, that kind of a thing. We have a team there. We have a base there. And um, years ago, we we're working with victims of, of trafficking and we were having so many challenges because there was no laws in the country whatsoever that um, there was no anti-trafficking legislation. Um, the, the president went on, on national television saying trafficking doesn't exist in Ecuador, so it's not a problem here. We're like, really? Strange. Um, you know, it was just, it was battle on every front. Um, and so we had a lot of, a lot of challenges to overcome. And in that, our little team, and our team at that time was like 20-something-year-olds, you know, like young 20-something-year-olds. We didn't have any big finances backing us. We didn't have any big organization backing us. We were just trying to obey God and be faithful with what he'd told us to do. And so, it, you know, for years, it looked like we just showed up in, in what is basically the red light district, um, you know, a couple times a week, just getting to know the, the ladies out there, building relationship, figuring out how we could help them, taking them groceries, helping watch their kids, getting them medical attention, helping them, you know, when they were finally able to leave, like helping them get jobs, helping them get mentoring. And it just, you know, grew with time, but we were just trying to be faithful with whatever little thing we had. And, um, part of the challenge we were facing was like, man, we've got to figure out how to really get in 
and shift the laws because the laws have been were such a problem. And so we're like, we need to really influence the government. But the government at this time, if you're familiar a little bit with South America, um, extremely socialist, was extremely socialist, very anti-Christian, very anti-American, you know. Um, so we had some big challenges. And so we assigned one of the girls on our team, a young, she was probably maybe 22 at the time. We assigned her, Marianne Hill is her name, we assigned her the task. Um, we said, we're going to pull everything else off your plate. And for the next, you know, six months, your only job is to figure out how we break into the government. Like, how do we get influence with the government? She's like, really? This is the job you're giving? We're like, yes. Get before God, get a strategy. We could just, we knew God's hand was on her in government. We're like, God's going God's to show us what to do. So this poor girl, right? Quite the task. And, uh, and she just begins to pray. And she begins to just begin to intercede. God, how, give me strategy, Lord. What do we do? And, and um, as she's praying, she feels prompted to kind of get on and start Googling and searching, you know, different things about the government and trying to learn. And, and as she's doing this, she stumbles ac- across this web page that has the personal contact information of the three top policymakers in the country. She's like, how am I seeing this? Why is there personal information on this page? She screenshots it, right? And she's like, this is so weird. Instantly, it's deleted. Some little glitch in the system. And never to be found again. But we have the screenshot. So she's like, what do we do? And I'm like, well, if he's giving us contact information, it's because we're supposed to contact them, right? So that was a no-brainer. So she reaches out. She contacts these, these government officials. The, you know, they're the ones who are literally writing all the policy in the country. And, um, and she reaches out, tells them who we are, what we're about. And one of them responds and says, how did you get my info? I am so intrigued by what you're saying. Meet me tomorrow for coffee. So we're like, yes. Okay, great. So she goes in, she meets this person for coffee and, uh, she's trying to talk about trafficking, all this stuff. They're not really interested. Um, but she comes back from the coffee date with a job offer. She's like, they, this person offered me a job um, or an interview, and she ended up getting the job. They, they offered her an interview to come in and um, interview to be a, a broadcaster, like an anchor on the socialist government TV station. <laughs> so random. She's like, what do I do? I'm like, you do it. You do it, right? Be faith. Like, God's opening this door. Let's go. She's like, this has nothing to do with traffic. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, we're going we're gonna to trust God, right? And so she is now a news anchor, you know, for the government TV station. Strange. So she's, she's dealing with all this stuff in there and all the stuff she has to work through. And, uh, but one of the things in her job, you know, her, her boss um, doesn't like her because he's like, I, I can tell you're a Christian and I don't like Christians. And, um, but... One of her jobs is she has to interview people, and she actually has, um, she's doing these interviews, but she has so much favor that her interviews get the highest um, ratings on the government station. And so against her boss's wishes, um, he has to give her, by the, you know, from the network, he has to give her her own show. And so she's now leading a show where she's interviewing people. And in these interviews, she's basically, you know, going to people and she's interviewing and saying like, how did your life get so changed around or whatever? And they're telling their story. And she's not talking about God, but other people are, right? And so it's just this really beautiful show. And um, anyways, it picks up all of this traction and favor. So many people are watching it. And her boss is so mad because he can't, he can't fire her. And, um, and so 
she gets, you know, she interviews this, this um, massive Olympian and um, afterwards the Olympian comes to her and says, hey, what I didn't tell you is I'm actually the personal trainer of the president. And, um, and he said, and I showed the president the interview you did of me. And the president was so moved. He said, how does this girl, it's like she pulls light out of people. He said, I want her to interview me. So now, I mean, I hope you're tracking this whole story. So now this girl is now interviewing the president and the first lady. And she's, I mean, God's just opening these doors, right? All while this is happening, um, we were doing a huge campaign, um, Real Men Don't Buy, Don't Buy Women campaign in Ecuador, and we lost our building. And um, at the same time, so we're like, you know, what are we going to do? Um, somebody from, from Parliament hears about what's happening. They reach out and they said, do you want to do it at, which is basically the equivalent of the White House. We're like, what? Yes, come do it here. So now her favor and her influence, because she's been faithful in this job she hated, but just being obedient to the Lord, right, is opening up these opportunities. So now we're hosting this big campaign about anti-trafficking in the equivalent of the White House with all these lawmakers there. Well, the government, you know, uh, TV station hears about it through Marianne Hill, and they decide we need to broadcast this on national television. So now we have the, the national TV station broadcasting us getting up and we address the nation for 45 minutes where we are able to talk about trafficking. We're able to talk about, you know, the calling the nation to, to abolition, calling the nation to do something about it. And it literally shifted. I, I don't even have time to explain to you the dramaticness of how what shifted in that country from that moment. Legislation began to change. We were given the opportunity to actually help write the legislation that changed. Um, it became a national conversation. And, and in a moment, we were able to do what would have taken like decades of work to do to get this, you know, this issue moved forward in a country. I wanted to tell you that story. Because I think so often, and there's so much that just came out of that, that's to this day continuing to come out of that relationship. So often we feel like, what can I do? I'm one person. So often we feel like this mountain is too big and we forget that we serve a God who does the impossible, right? One last story and we're gonna, we're gonna I won't be long, but we're gonna get in the word. Um, this past season during the pandemic, you know I, I don't know, I don't know the vibe there, but here it was so much contention of, ch we had churches suing the government, you know, people protesting, and, and we don't want to, you know, wear masks, and we don't want to lock, all the things, right? And uh, we had so clear from the Lord, heard the Lord say, you will have no part in that. They're like, okay. He said, you're going to honor. We're like, absolutely, let's go. And so we're calling, our church is calling our mayor's office, we're calling our governor, hey, we're praying for you, can we send lunch to your team? You know, we're sorry, it's been so hard. And literally people are weeping on the other end and just being like, churches only call us to scream at us. <laughs> like, what? And, and just, okay, how can we bless? How can we honor? How can we serve? And uh, through this time, you know, it has been incredible to watch as we've just obeyed and stayed faithful and just continue to love and be humble and serve anywhere we can. Um, we're, you know, trying to serve in areas of foster care. We're trying to serve in all these different areas. And just in the past year and a half, the doors that have opened for our community, 
Now we're, we're massively a part of seeing reform in our entire foster care system at a county level. We've created an alliance, um, a faith-based alliance with, with Catholics and, and the Jewish community and, and Protestants and all different faiths have come together. Um, and we've seen thousands of people rally around and sign up to be foster parents. We've seen solutions come out. We've seen the, 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 our government saying, you can run camps for foster kids. You know, what do you, like just so much favor in that area. Our church has also been invited, and, and now we're, we're counseling and, and a part of the cabinet that's helping to, to shape um, criminal justice reform in our county, and all these crazy opportunities and, and transformation that's happening in L.A. County, and we're finding ourselves in these rooms going, how did we get here? How did we get here? And that's what I want to talk about today. How do we get there? Because here's the word that has been stirring in my heart for you guys. You are positioned to bring massive transformation. You are being so set up by God to see things shift in your region. Social issues, industries, business, education, I'm telling you, this is who you are and there is such a grace and a favor on you to see real transformation in your region. And I want to just briefly give you some, some tips some truths um, that I hope will be a blessing and an encouragement to you in this journey. Here's the truth, right? Powerlessness is a mentality. It is not your reality. Powerlessness is a mentality. It is not your reality, kingdom culture. So the first thing I want to talk about, the first truth I want to leave with you is I am an ambassador. And I put these in personal statements because I want us to, I want you to write that in your notes. I am an ambassador. When I think about being an ambassador, if you know the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Scripture says we have been anointed and called and commissioned to be ambassadors on this planet, right? We carry the kingdom. When I think about an ambassador, I think about authority and I think about culture, all right? And here's the truth. Um, I mean, when you think about even amb the word ambassador, that that word was chosen um, in this context to describe who we are and what we get to do. You know, an ambassador is, is a diplomatic official of the highest rank, sent by one sovereign state to another, the ambassador represents their homeland, their home country. They have authority, um, real authority. And so, you know, when you think about this from a Christian perspective, there is no class distinction in Christianity, right? Um, you know, in fact, Ephesians 4 says, you know, that Christ gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the teachers um, and the pastors. And many times we think, oh, it's those people's job to do ministry. And that's not what scripture says. Scripture says it's those people's job 
to train everybody to do ministry, to do the work of the kingdom, right? It's just those people's job. The real ministers aren't those, you know, that stand behind a pulpit and hold a microphone. We are all the real ministers. We are all sons and daughters of God. We are all salt and light. We are all called to carry the kingdom everywhere we go. We are all ambassadors, right? There's no like, you get more authority than I. No, Jesus, it's an even playing field at the cross. It's an even playing field. All of us are called to be powerful. All of us are called to to walk in kingdom authority and see things shift, right? And so we're all ambassadors for Christ Um, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, when you go get a Starbucks, you know, when you're stopping at Ikea, wherever you are, you carry the kingdom of God. You represent God on this earth. You may be the only experience or encounter with God somebody ever has. That's powerful. And if we're really going to see a move of God in our cities, and we're going to really see things change, it's not going to be because a few like super saints over here who are super holy did something. It's going to be because every single one of us took our place as ambassadors. I represent the kingdom, right? And so thinking about that, what are people learning about God through my life? How, how am I reflecting God to my children, to my in-laws, to my neighbors, to my coworkers? to these people I'm tired of seeing on Zoom every day. How am I reflecting God to them? I'm an ambassador of his kingdom. And I mentioned this earlier, but sometimes we feel powerless to bring change. And the reality is we're not, our feelings are deceiving because the truth is we are so powerful. You are so powerful. It's not just for those who, who, man, they really have it together. They read their Bible all the time. They're, you know, no, you, the veil has been torn. There is nothing between you and God. You have access to everything in the kingdom. You are powerful. You know, when I think about ambassadors, there's a couple of things I think about. One, ambassadors, you know, were directly appointed by the king or the emperor, Right? They've been chosen to do this. They have authority. Ambassadors aren't elected. It doesn't matter what anybody else's opinion was. Ambassadors are chosen by the king and positioned. Just like you and I. It doesn't matter what your past says. It doesn't matter what the enemy would like to read out about your life. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. The reality is God has chosen you and appointed you to powerfully carry his kingdom into this world. God is backing you. He's for you. His promises are true for you, not just other people. If he says he's good, he's good for you. Right? He's chosen you. Ambassadors are also empowered to do business on behalf of the kingdom they represent, the government they represent. They're empowered to do business. Wouldn't it be weird if you went to your job tomorrow and you told your boss, hey, could you go do my job for me? (laughs) Your boss would be like, uh, right? Like, um, you're empowered to do it. I feel like so many times this is how we approach God. We're like, God, this, this, like, this place is a mess. You better fix it. God, these people are jacked up. Like, you better fix this mess, God. There's so much oppression here. And God's like, you go set the oppressed free, (laughs) right? You release healing to them. You go bring peace to them. And we're like, what? No, God, I, I can't. I'm, I'm what, what, what? We start kind of doing this number, right? And we forget the reality that it doesn't matter what you feel, 
It doesn't matter what your circumstances look like. God has empowered you. We are powerful people in the kingdom. We are agents of change. We are ambassadors for the kingdom. We have real authority to see things shift. Real authority. You know, ambassadors operate under the laws of their sending nation. Right? They, they operate under the laws of their homeland. That, in fact, they, they carry the culture and the laws of their homeland. That means wherever they go, they're not under the, the jurisdiction or the laws of the, the, the new place they're in. They're under the laws of their homeland. If we really understood that, that the laws of the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom are far greater than what we're seeing in the natural, Right? So you can actually suspend natural law and, and release the kingdom because we, we are under a greater law. We are under, so if God says, you know, I want to release peace in this room and there's chaos, you're under a greater law and you can release the peace in the room. You have a th real authority to do it. You're not bound to what everybody else is under. You're not bound to the same chaos in the room. You operate, you're like a mobile embassy everywhere you go. You operate and you carry the culture of heaven. You carry Jesus' culture and you have real authority to release it in the room around you. You know, speaking of culture, you know, the kingdom of God has a culture. I mean, I love that this is the namesake of your church. The kingdom of God has a culture. Jesus had a culture, right? So how we do things matter because culture is important. And in the kingdom, there's honor and there's generosity and there's you know sacrificial love and there's justice and there's faith and and there's a real culture there's a real culture in the kingdom and part of being ambassadors is we get to carry that culture everywhere we go right the world is not going to be transformed by western culture the world is not going to be transformed by church culture the world is going to be transformed by kingdom culture and that's the invitation that we get to carry. We get to be so personally transformed by kingdom culture, and then we get to release it as ambassadors. We're ambassadors of a higher kingdom. And you know what? This isn't just talk or theory. This is a real reality. Every day when you walk out your door or when you stay inside with those kids or whatever you're doing, you have real authority to release the kingdom. You carry the kingdom with you regardless of how you feel. God is backing you. You are so much more powerful than you think. So number one, um, I'm an ambassador. Number two, a second truth um, that is so vital for us to see transformation. If we're gonna really see things shift in our day, this is so important. And probably definitely not, you know, talked about enough. Number two, humility and obedience are my secret weapons. Humility and obedience are my secret weapons. Here's the truth. Jesus does not need you to be famous, to be successful, to have a million followers, you know, any of that to be powerful or to be used by him. Actually, what Jesus needs from you is humility and obedience. And humility and obedience will go a lot further than any other human metric, you know, of success. Humility and obedience. 
You know, if we're going to really see industries reformed or our government impacted, right, or our cities transformed or injustices restored or or lives changed, if we're going to see any of that, we have to become experts in humility and we have to become experts in obedience. You know, we are not here as Christians to dominate, to take over, to take back, to, you know, be the boss, to, you know, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're smarter or we know more or we should have that position. There's some really weird theology out there that has kind of twisted this this idea in scripture that we get in Genesis of, of, you know, taking dominion. And Jesus is our example. Let's look at how Jesus took dominion. Jesus never strong-armed anybody. Jesus never, you know, tried to be the boss of everything. Jesus didn't come in and, and try to tell everybody how to do everything. Jesus picked up a towel and he washed feet. And if we're going to truly see, I I think you can see this hopefully in some of the stories I told. This was such a key part in seeing crazy breakthrough, crazy things happen. It was humility and obedience, serving. It wasn't coming in, trying to, you know, tell everybody how it should be. It's how can we serve you? I'm telling you, that will open doors for you that no man can open. When we take the posture of Christ and we become, we move in our industries and in our business and, and in, in all of our environments, we move with great humility and obedience to Christ, which Christ commands us to love extravagantly, right? Christ commands us to lay our lives. And when we, we move in humility and obedience, we become very powerful. You know, uh, leading in humility, you know what that looks like? It looks like, that I'm a learner. It looks like I don't pretend to have all the answers. It looks like I I listen more than I talk. It looks like I'm going to really learn about these issues in my city or, or my industry. And and really, you know, it's, it's approaching it as I'm here to serve and I'm a learner versus we're going to tell you what you need to fix about this government. We're going to tell you, you know, the church has, has infamously done that and is not, it is not done well for us. It hasn't. And so it's a, it's a heart posture, right? And, and humility is so attractive. I think about Daniel. You know, Daniel is this, you know, son of God. Daniel, you know, he knows who he is. He, he's a, you know, child of God. He's had prophecies over him his whole life. I mean, you think about Daniel, and, and yet here he is serving King Nebuchadnezzar. Here he is in Babylon. And Daniel doesn't come in with a chip on his shoulder. He is humble. He, he's does what's asked of him. He becomes excellent. He honors. Daniel wasn't like, I'm going to lead this revival. No. And I love this story because Daniel doesn't lead the revival. (laughs) It's Daniel's humility and obedience in the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar that sees him changed, right? It's Daniel's honor towards him. It's Daniel's, you know, love and commitment towards him serving this wicked leader. And King Nebuchadnezzar leads the revival. King Nebuchadnezzar sends a letter to the entire region and says, everybody, Daniel's God is real. Serve Daniel's God. We're so often praying for God to take out all the Nebuchadnezzars in our life, right? Like, God, take my boss. Lord, I wouldn't mind if, you know, we just start doing all this. And God's like, hold on, right? Because God not only had a plan for Daniel, but God had a plan for King Nebuchadnezzar. And there are people that God has positioned around you that may be hard, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you are divinely positioned 
to impact. You are divinely positioned to release kingdom. You are divinely positioned to influence. Never discount how powerful your voice is, your love is, your friendship is. You showing up with that coffee for that coworker, whatever it is, never discount those things. I'm telling you, these are the things that have always changed history. These acts of kindness, these steps of humility, right? These, these steps of generosity, these are the things that shift. I love the, the, the passage in Philippians 2. Um, I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. You might be familiar with this, Philippians 2, 3 through 9. I think it's one of the hardest passages in Scripture. Ready? It says, Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, listen to this, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. I love this. We are told in scripture, imitate Christ. Do what Jesus did. Jesus having every authority, every reason to be like, yo, I'm God, right? Every reason to be like, you should be serving me. I clearly know more than you. I created you, right? Like he had every reason to do that and he didn't. It says that he made himself low, taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself. He considered others better than him. That is hard in this day and age. That is hard, and it says because he chose the path of humility, right? Where culture tells us, climb the ladder, self-promote. They got to know your name. You've got to make sure you get the credit. You know, it, this is what culture is telling us. Up, up, up. Make your, push yourself up. And what scripture tells us is actually do like Jesus and get low. And what happens? I love that in verse 9. It says that God, because he did that, God exalted him to the highest place and multiplied his greatness. Wow. Let me tell you, God promoting you is always better than you promoting yourself, right? Because whatever you promote yourself into, you have to sustain yourself there, and that's no fun. But when God promotes you, and I'm telling you, this is what he does. This is who he is. God is for you. He is not a liar. He is not unfaithful. He is good, and he is just. And he sees your efforts. He sees your love and your sacrifice. And when we pour out in humility, and we pour out in obedience— it gives, we become a giant target for God to show up and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift this one up. I'm going to exalt this one. I'm going to pour out here. I'm telling you, it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of humility in a society that's telling us, right? Live your own truth. You do you, boo, whatever. Like in a culture that's telling us to, you know, 
speak your own truth, be your own person, do what you want, you know, like constantly feeding that to us to say, hold on, am I really surrendered to Christ? Because this is not about me. It's about Christ, right? Christ dream. And as we choose that, and it's, it's not easy, and I'm not pretending to say that it is, but when we choose the path of humility, I'm telling you, that is where the power is. That is where the power is. And the world is hungry to see powerful Christians. The world is hungry to see people who aren't just talk, who aren't just religious games in motion, who aren't just, you know, political, but throw a religious bow on it. They are hungry to see Jesus of Nazareth. They are hungry to see true ambassadors of the kingdom. And that is who you are. That is who you are. And you're changing the game and you're changing the narrative as you are loving radically. See, we're not just in pursuit of revival or transformation. We're in pursuit of Jesus. And there's a lot of really beautiful byproducts of that that look like revival and transformation. But it's being in pursuit of Jesus. It's doing it his way. It's being so in love with him. I'm telling you, you are so positioned to see wild things begin to break out in your region. And last but not least, number three. I'm built for hard things. You know what? The enemy is an expert in trying to convince us that we're not enough, that we don't have enough, that we're not rich enough, that we're not connected enough, that we're not fit enough, that we're not single enough, that we're not married enough, that we're not male enough, that we're not female enough, that whatever, fill in the blanks. The enemy would love to convince you that you're not right for the job, convince you that God doesn't really choose you or that you don't have what it takes. And I want to tell you, he can do nothing but lie because the enemy is terrified of who you are. He is terrified of the authority that you carry, that you've already been given. He can't have it and he's terrified, right? You know, we can sit and wonder, well, what can I do about human trafficking? You know, I'm just one person. Or what can I do about the housing crisis? Or what can I do about bad legislation? Or what can I do about the problems in education in my region? What can I do about these things? And the enemy would love to tell you nothing. You can do nothing. You're one person. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And you need to get this deep in your spirit today. God plus you is always enough. God plus you wins every single time. God plus you destroys the scale and you win every single time. You know, one of my favorite uh, Peloton instructors, (laughs) Jess Sims, any other Peloton users out there? Um, Jess Sims says, you're built for hard, hard things. You're built for hard things. And that's true. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is the truth. We are designed in the image of an all-powerful God, right? A God whose love is long-enduring, a God who, who is gracious and merciful. We are built in his image. The enemy loves to feed us this lie that we're just this frail, like, I can't, I can't do it, I can't. And it's like, hold on, we come from a long line of powerful people 
that God has inhabited, the people that have shifted history, people that have done the impossible, people that have stood up to, to wicked authorities, people that have, have seen wickedness brought down, that have seen justice over and over for thousands of years. This is our legacy. Why? Because we are created in the image of God. We are built for hard things. You're stronger than you think. You're more powerful than you think. We're not meant to just be blown around by our souls. We're meant to be driven from our spirits. You're more powerful than you think. Um, and I think often about Elijah and the moment where he's on the mountain and he's praying for rain and there's no rain. <laughs> Maybe you've been there. I've been there many times. I'm like, God, trying to get breakthrough in an area and nothing seems to be happening, right? He's praying for rain. There's no rain. Six times he sends his servant, go look, go look. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Some of you maybe have felt like this. God, I've been believing for restoration in my marriage. Nothing. God, I've been believing for this child. Nothing. God, I've been believing for breakthrough in our work. Nothing. Six times, door slammed in my face. Nothing's changing. It's still the same. Elijah could have gotten up off that mountain and walked off and said, you know what? I must have missed it. Maybe God's good for others, but not for me. Maybe I heard wrong. I should go get a new dream. He could have easily just walked off that mountain. I wonder how many times you and I have missed our breakthrough because we gave up too soon. I wonder how many times we got up and we walked away because it got hard and we forgot that we're built for hard things. We forgot that we are not fragile and frail, but we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Holy grit, right? That our love is meant to be mature and deep and our faith is meant to grow and be deep and rooted. And I love that story because on the seventh time that, you know, he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. So tiny, so small. Well, God, we have a little bit of breakthrough over here, but nothing compared to what we need, right? Or whatever it is, you could probably relate. And Elijah's response in that moment, he's not dismissive of what he sees. He begins to celebrate. It's going to rain, right? And he begins to run. And I love this story. I love this story because here's the reality. Now listen, maybe because you've been homeschooling, for some of you newly homeschooling in this season, uh, uh, you've done a little more science than usual. I forgot how clouds are formed. I had to kind of look it up. I forget again, so whatever. I'm going to give you the, you know, the Parents Reader's Digest version here. A cloud isn't formed instantly. There is a whole process of a cloud forming before you see it, right? Water is rising from the earth and it begins to go up into the atmosphere and then these water you know, uh, molecules begin to separate out and then air and this whole thing. And all of this is happening that the human eye cannot see before a cloud is formed. So the entire time that Elijah was praying for rain, something was happening, but he couldn't see it. Had he walked off that mountain, he would have missed that it was already forming. The miracle was already forming. Don't leave the mountain. When God has said to stand and believe for something, don't walk off. I know it's hard. I'm telling you, God is faithful. I have this deep belief, and I've seen it over and over in my life. Last one standing wins, and it's true. If you don't give up, you will see it. You will see the breakthrough. You will see God break in over and over and over again. You're made for hard things. You're built for hard things. You can do this. I love that story, and I love how it ends, too, because it says that um, Elijah begins to run, 
and he outruns the best chariot and horses of the day. Man, being on that mountain was hard. And he was, there was drought, and he was hungry, and all the things. But you know what? He was so filled with the power of God because he waited on God. He was able to run faster and further than the very best of his day. I'm telling you, I'm prophesying this to you. You are You are being called by God. You are being set apart. You are being set up. I know it's hard. I know it's been a long journey, but I'm telling you, he's setting you up to infuse you with his spirit so that you can run faster and further than the best of your day. It's through his strength we're gonna do this. It's through his spirit. It's not gonna be our own hustle and our own striving. It's so through his mercy and through his grace, but we have to learn to wait on him. We have to learn to, to lean into him and not give up when it gets hard. And, and lastly with this, being built for hard things is, um, it's we have to accept the truth that whatever we have in our hand is enough. I don't know about you, but many times I look into my bank account and I think it's not enough. I look into my connections and I think they're not enough for what I'm trying to do, right? Like, it feels like it's not enough, but here's the truth. Whatever in your, you have in your hand is enough. The little stone David had didn't seem like enough for a giant, but it was enough. The little bread and the fish, the little boy's lunch, sure didn't seem like enough to feed a multitude, but with Jesus, it's enough. The widow's oil, tiny little drop of oil left, sure didn't feel like enough, but with, with, with God in the mix, all of a sudden the oil, tiny drop of oil is enough. It's enough for, you know, to pay her debt and to, for her to retire on. I'm telling you, what has God put in your hand? Stop dreaming and wishing that you had something else. How are we being faithful with what's in our hands? I'm telling you, God will take what you have, whatever that is, your gift of hospitality, your engineering degree, you know, uh, a diaper, a tube of lipstick, whatever it is you have right now in your hands. That little blog, that, you know, script idea, whatever is in your hands, I'm telling you, bring it to Jesus and watch what he does. He is the expert at taking our meager little offerings and turning them into more than enough. I could literally stand here, and I don't say this with exaggeration, I could stand here and for hours and hours tell you story after story after story like the ones I already told you of how we watched, we've, I have seen God do the impossible. I have seen God shift cities. I have seen God shift industries. I have seen God shift massive issues of injustice. I have seen God shift things in nations. I have seen God do it. And it's never been because we're so anointed because we're not, or because we're so connected because we're not, or because we have the resources because we don't, or because, you know, oh, we're born under some special start. Nope. Raised by a single mom in some ghetto. I mean, I'm telling you, like, it does not matter what you have. Bring it to Jesus with faith and watch what he does because you're an ambassador of the kingdom and you have real authority, real authority. And when you choose to posture yourself with humility and you choose to posture yourself with obedience, all of a sudden, everything becomes possible. And when you choose to not give up when it gets hard and you remember, I was built for hard things and what I have is enough. I'm just gonna trust God and I'm gonna step out with the one thing in my hand. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're gonna watch God break in. 
I want to pray for us as we close this morning. And I want to pray that this, that God would reset your heart with so much passion. That God would reset your heart with vision. That God would reset your faith this morning. That you would be so provoked and inspired and reminded the authority that you carry. And that you would remember that you are being positioned by God to bring great impact. And it is not an accident that all of you have been brought together. It is not an accident. Lean into each other. Your breakthrough is, the, is my breakthrough. My breakthrough is your breakthrough. This is what spiritual community does and looks like. So Father, I thank you for every person that's watching, every person that's listening in today. I pray, God, for that personal and intimate and powerful reset in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would heal out any place in us, Lord, through this past year and a half that's just gotten weary or complacent or numb or disconnected or just doesn't feel right. God, I pray that you would heal it and I pray that you would stoke those flames of passion in our heart. I pray that you would remind us that we are agents of change, that you would remind us that we're powerful, God, that you would remind us that it is not an accident that we're at this church and it's not an accident that we're in this city and it's not an accident, God, that you have brought us together for a great purpose. I pray, Lord, for passion and faith to be stirred in us. I pray for that holy grit to hang on and to keep trusting and to keep pressing in even when we don't see the answer right away. Father, I thank you so much for this amazing community. I thank you, God, that you have called them to bring great impact and transformation. I thank you that they are called to be leaders in their city, leaders in city transformation. God, I thank you for what you've put on this house. And we speak blessings. We speak life. And God, we ask that you would um, just go before them and make a way for them to be together soon. God, I just pray over their kids, their, their families, Lord, right now, just blessing and covering over everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is so good to be with you today. God bless you. Have an amazing week, you guys. Thank you.